Good morning. Welcome to Grace Life Church. I'm Diane Hendricks, and I am glad to be worshiping with you today. If you are uh, worshiping from home, welcome. If you're here in person, welcome. We are um, just glad to be able to worship the Lord today. Listen, we've been talking about we're an open book, right? Um, there are no secrets here. Well, it's no secret that we're having some technical difficulty this morning. You know, at home, we've started a little bit late. Uh, we want you to know that on the screens, you're not going to see the lyrics to the words today. It's okay. We're not going to worry about that, right? It's no accident that we're talking about culture and the way that we should act and respond uh, to those things. Uh, here's, it's a test, right? We can either um, allow us to be distracted by what's not happening, no lyrics on the screen, or we could just simply worship God, lay all of that stuff aside, and uh, just, you know, Come to him uh, and, and worship and love him today. Does that sound like a good plan? Sounds like a good plan to me. But I do have my device that has our official Grace Life welcome. And so I would like to welcome you officially uh, today to Grace Life Church. To all who mourn and need comfort. To all who are weary and need rest. To all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares. To all who fail and need strength. To all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come, Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers um, welcome. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, that none of this matters. Technology, all those things that don't matter. What, the only thing that matters is that we come before you and just offer our lives to you and worship you. And I pray that you would move um, on each heart, uh, those that are here or those that are at home, and that you would just change us, Lord, from the inside out, that you would just do something cool in each of our lives today, Lord. We love you. We just want to praise you and bring you all the honor and glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Grace Life. How are you guys doing? Do you guys want to stay and worship with us this morning? Darkness tries to roll over my bones. When sorrow comes, I steal the joy out. Yeah. 
I don't know about you guys, but we're having a crazy morning this morning, just, uh, just this past week, and so many times Satan just tries to hit us left and right over and over again, but it, we can still, in the midst of the chaos, just raise our hands up to Christ and just submit ourselves to him and just worship him through the troubles and tri uh, tribulations. Amen.
Father God, amen. We just want to shout that to heaven, Father God, in the name of Jesus, that no matter what Satan throws at us, Father God, no matter what life comes at what life throws at us, Father, that you are in control, and we will always lift our praises to you, Father. In the good and the bad and the ugly, Father God, you are in control, and we submit to you, Father, and we love you. Father God, we just pray that you would just speak through Tommy this morning, Father, that you would just speak through your word, and you would just let it, uh, that we would be able to meditate on your word, Father God. Soften our hearts and open our ears to you, Father. We just love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Good morning. Um, so I'm assuming there will not be scripture for you to follow along on the overhead since we didn't have music, but um, or didn't have that for music. But I'm going to read to you from our passage for today, which is 1 John chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Um, obviously, if you have a device or a hard copy of the Bible, you can follow along. Um, it says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Thank you, worship team, and thank you, Melissa. Well, good morning, Grace Life Church. And I'm sorry, I forget to do this so often, but I want to especially welcome and greet those people that are watching faithfully from home, either on YouTube or Facebook. Hopefully those things are up and running. We miss you. We support what you're doing. Uh, it's my belief and the, and the belief of our elders that we want Grace Life Church to be the safest place for uh, the most vulnerable members, and sometimes that means you stay at home if you have fears or concerns, or especially if you have health issues. So I'm just grateful for the technology that you're able to join us uh, via Facebook and, and YouTube, and if those things aren't working, we're recording this, and we'll post that as soon as we can. So my name's Tommy. If I have not had the pleasure of meeting you, I'm the lead pastor at Grace Life Church, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to lead this congregation, and before we get started this morning... I just want to pause and pray, even hearing that text read, how deep and, and beautiful and profound all the, the truth is in that, all the different rivers we could, we could camp out on forever, and yet I have one specific part of that passage I really want to lay out today. So I just want to ask God for help, and I want to ask God to help you too, to hear and to listen, and it's so easy to, to bring distractions in with us and just have our mind cluttered with so many things. And I know that God's glory and clutter don't, don't go together. That's what John uh, the Baptist said, make way, make straight the path so God's glory can come and shine. So I'm going to pray that this morning, that God's word would come down like rain and would water us, and that we 
would be changed and transformed by it. So would you join me? Lord Jesus, thank you for another opportunity and privilege to gather together under the banner of Christ with your children to just realign our, our hope and just recommit ourselves to you and to do what this passage tells us so powerfully to do, to walk in the light and to do it together, to know that God is there, that we are invited or even charged and commanded to step out of the shadows, get out of the dark where there's hiding and there's pretense and there's swag and there's hypocrisy and join God who is welcoming us with open arms where the light is shining, where it's, it's bright and it's cheerful and there's love there and there's honesty there and there's openness there. Thank you for all these realities that we see not just in this passage but all through the Bible. I pray we would go and join you there. We would be challenged and, and encouraged to do that today and that you would empower me, Lord, to, to just speak clearly and, and under the anointing power of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come and, and, and fill my heart, Lord, with truth and with power and, and open the ears of all of us here to receive your truth, Lord. I pray there's nothing here that grieves you or that would resist you. And I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. First John chapter 1. And you are stepping into a new series that we launched just last week. We started a series, and the name of that series is Culture Check. Culture Check. How the gospel shapes the culture of the church. And last week, I took just a couple of minutes at the very beginning to make sure we're all using the same dictionary when I talk about culture, because that's a word that's, depending on who you talk to or what you read, it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And I'm using it specifically to talk about the culture of a church. So culture, it's... If you were a fish, it would be the water that you swim in. It's just assumed. You don't analyze it. You don't question it. You don't challenge it. It's kind of unspoken. It's, it's like the house smell that we all have in our houses. We don't detect it until we've been gone for a while and come back. But people that are in our house, they can't ignore it and they can't forget it. That's, that's kind of like culture. It's the unspoken rules about the way things are done around here. The unspoken rules about the way things are done around here. It's the shared values that we embrace and protect and promote. And we said families have a culture, marriages have a culture, businesses, small and large companies have a culture, and churches have a culture. And those cultures are either beautiful and they're flourishing and they're thriving and they're vibrant or they're toxic. And it's no fun to be there because culture is all about relationships. That's what culture is. J.I. Packer passed away about a week ago, and he, he went home to be with the Lord. And one of the things he said about culture is this. He said, we do not think often enough or deeply enough about the culture of our congregations. I agree wholeheartedly. And this series is me trying to put our culture back on the map. It's time to do a culture check and to ask ourselves, what kind of place is this? And why is it that way? What is shaping the culture of this church? What's uniting us for good or for bad, for better or for worse? So that's what the series is about. Time for a culture check. And this is not reactionary. I'm thankful. I see so many things here that encourage me. This is just to keep us on course. The Bible talks a lot about not just the doctrinal 
gospel doctrine that comes down from above, but the gospel culture, horizontal, relationships within the church. As we're in the middle of a pandemic, and so a lot of people are thinking about infectious diseases and how long you have to be exposed before you catch it. And as I think about that and I think about culture, I know that there's no such thing as a neutral culture. That's ridiculous. Every culture will eventually manifest symptoms. There's no such thing as, what do they call it, asymptomatic, asymptomatic. That means you have something, but you don't manifest it. Nobody can tell. That's not true with culture, and it's especially not true with with a church culture. If you're in a church for any extended period of time, you will catch the culture that's there. In fact, that's a good way to describe it. It's not so much that a culture is taught, it's caught like a disease, but not always, you know, sometimes cultures are great. You need to catch them. It needs to perpetuate. Cultures are the unspoken rules, remember? It's the way things are done around here, whether it's good or whether it's bad. But there's no such thing as neutrality. Your culture will get transmitted to everybody. And so this is the question we're asking. The true test of whether or not a church is faithful to the gospel is not just what you hear from our lips. You hear us preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, or it's not just what you read on the website. No, it's the experience and the vibe and the feel you get when you're a part of that community. In other words, let me paint the picture this way. Somebody said this once. They said, your culture will eat your doctrinal statement for lunch. (laughs) Meaning you may say you're this, but the reality is you're not. You're actually this. You may preach a message of peace and joy and love and welcoming, and then somebody comes and visits your church, and they're like, (laughs) what the heck? You can say on your church website, we believe in a rich, joyful community where Jesus is Lord, where sinners are welcomed, and genuine relationships flourish. But the reality may be that your church is cold, unwelcoming, the vibe is sad, and nobody's flourishing, not even the leadership. What happened? They got good doctrine. It's solid. We believe the authority of the Bible. We believe in a literal six-day creation. We believe in you know, all those things. Jesus is the exclusive way to reconcile to God. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He, was, he died, and on the third day rose from the grave, ascended to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit, so on and so forth. What, what happened? They got good doctrine, good theology. It's a toxic culture. That, that doctrine was just up here. It never made its way into the, into the heart and never beautified the relationships in the church. That's what happened. That's what happened. Or to say it another way, people weren't walking in the light. <laughs> That's what John says. Walk in the light as he is in the light. If you do that, he says, you have fellowship with one another. That's amazing. This whole section is amazing in John's gospel. Because he says, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. Here's the message. What is it? I mean, check this out, guys. Whenever an apostle summarizes three years of teaching in one tweet, (laughs) it's not even a tweet. This is the message. Here it is. I spent three years with Jesus, and I'm going to condense his teaching to this one statement. Are you ready? God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That's the message. That summarizes three years. Don't you love that? Isn't that beautiful? 
God is light. Start there. And if we're outlining the message today, it'd be a choppy outline probably, but that's point one, okay? Start with God. If you want the kind of culture where there's relationships where you can flourish, you can be honest, you can be real, you can step out of the shadows, you can be open to God and to one another, it starts with God. It doesn't start with the relationships. If you start there, if you start with fellowship, you'll break it. You will. You got to start with God. And John is very fond of this. And he gets his cue from the inspired writers, right? What's the opening line of Genesis? In the beginning, people hung out together, and it was beautiful. That's not where it starts, is it? In the beginning, what? God. And even John, when he's writing his gospel account of the life of Jesus, he says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning. And he starts out his epistle the same way. John's in good company. You've got to start with God. That's where the Bible starts. That's where your story starts. That's where Christianity starts. It doesn't start with us. Walk in the light, and you'll find company there. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book years ago called Life Together. And in that book, he said something profound. He said, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. He who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. Do you know what sin seeks to do? Separate. I mean, I could dominate, (laughs) deceive, destroy, yes, all those things. But sin, by nature, seeks to separate you from God, from people, And I would even go, this may sound a little psychological, but from yourself. Sin wants to separate you from who God intended you to be as a flourishing human being filled with his spirit. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, he who is alone with the sin is utterly alone. And then he goes on to say this, sin demands to have a man or a woman by themselves. It withdraws them from the community. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unconfessed, it poisons the whole being of a person. Think Gollum, Lord of the Rings, <laughs> under the, ma- the misty mountain, being devoured and consumed. For he doesn't even know his name, doesn't remember the s- s- smell of the air or the sight of trees. He says, It poisons the whole being of a person. And this this is just what gripped me. This can happen even in the midst of a pious community. This can happen even in the midst of a pious, just means holy, devout, committed. Sin can do that even in the midst of a pious community that has a really good website with a sound doctrinal statement and good theology. What in the heck? How does that happen? See, John is concerned. This is what's really interesting to me about this passage. I backed up to verse 4 because John says this. He says, I am writing to you so that, he says, our joy may be complete. Some translations dispute that word, and they say it's actually your joy. And I could go either way. In Greek, it basically means the same thing. John says, I'm writing you to complete my joy and to complete your joy. See, John's concern that these people, and the, this is the end of the first century where Christianity was birthed. 
And John says, I've got a concern. It's not what's out there that I'm concerned about. And man, it's so easy as a church, as a Christian, as a pastor. We got pagans, we got a pandemic, we got politics. John says, none of those things are on my radar right now. I'm much more concerned about what's going on in here because John says, I'm seeing some things. I'm seeing the seeds being planted of false Christianity. And I see you buying it, drinking it, hook, line, and sinker. And if he could boil it down to one statement, he says, here's my concern. You're saying that you have fellowship with God and each other, but you're walking in the light. Excuse me, but you're not walking. You're not walking in the light. You're not being honest with God or with each other. That's denial. That's a severe blind spot, and that will absolutely crush this culture. That's a huge problem in churches. It's interesting to me. There's no new evil under the sun. John says, I want your joy to be complete. Do you want to know what will destroy and crush joy faster than anything else? Not being honest. Fake it till you make it. Have you heard that? Fake it till you make it. You ever been in a church like that? How you doing? I'm great. I'm fine. Fine. Jeff Eckert calls it finitis. <laughs> How you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I talked, to a, <laughs> I talked to a missionary the other day. I won't tell you who it is. I don't think they'd care. But this person told me uh, I was sick all week. It's terrible. And this person's busy, man, discipling, teaching, an amazing evangelist. This person said, I go into church, and a, and a lady asked me, she said, how, how are you doing? And my friend said, I'm doing terrible, horrible. I had an awful week. And she said this, the expression on this lady's face was just utter confusion. Like she could not accept that. She could not accept somebody being that unedited, raw, honest. Like I'm having a terrible time. And she said this person actually ran away, <laughs> went to the bathroom, and came out. And it was like, it was like she rewound the tape of her life 10 minutes. And she said, now how was your week? And my friend said, it was terrible. I was sick. I had fever. I laid in the floor just about all week on the verge of throwing up and passing out. <laughs> and the person said, oh my, and walked off. And she never saw her again that morning. And this is a small church. <laughs> you know what that is? That's one person trying to walk in the light and another one saying, can we just stay in the darkness, please? Because I don't really don't want to go there. I don't know what to say to you. Just say you're doing fine. Say you're doing fine. <laughs> We're trained, see? It's the unspoken rules about the way things are done around here. That's a culture. And you don't get there overnight. It takes a, a church a long time to get there. But all you have to do to get there is nothing because you'll drift there. That's where Satan wants you to be. Where you're in the shadows of secrecy and self-denial. John says, I want your joy to be full. And I want you to have assurance and in order for that to happen, you got to start with God. He's in the light. And listen, light is a beautiful metaphor. It means so many things. We could talk about holiness and obedience. It means those things. God wants you to walk in obedience. He wants you to take his word serious. Not just, you know, there's a difference between agreeing with the Bible and obeying the Bible. Did you guys know that? If you just go to the Bible and you read it and say, yep, I agree with that. Oh, I see. So you already had your mind made up before you came to the Bible. And as long as the Bible agrees with you, you're good. That's not obedience. That's danger. What happens when the Bible doesn't agree with you? 
That's the test. Whatever the topic or the subject is, the hot topic things like human sexuality, what if the Bible challenges you? Are you going to say, well, I don't agree with that, so therefore I'm not going to obey it? Well, don't, then don't kid yourself. You're not walking in the light. John means that, but he means more than that. John is talking about this insidious evil that resides in churches where there's just secrecy and there's denial and we're not honest. One of my all-time favorite movies, you knew it was coming eventually, 2004. That was a great year for movies, I think because I got married that year. I don't know. Anyway, it was, uh, I can't say his name right, Michael Chalamet Knight, is that his name? He makes all those movies with a killer twist plot at the end. Well, he wrote a movie that, that movie critics ridiculed until years later, and they're like, that movie was actually very deep and profound. The movie's called The Village. The Village, maybe you've seen it. It's a great movie, and it's, it's scary, but it's safe. It's clean. I love it. The best movies are, aren't they? But it's a movie, uh, and the setting is Pennsylvania. It's actually a psychological thriller. There, there is a community of people, and they're worn out from the evils of the world, all of them met each other at a counseling center, and, and either somebody in their family or a loved one underwent a violent death through crime. And they said, you know what? We're sick of this. We reject this. We're going to create our own community in the middle of this nature preserve with walls all the way around it, and we're going we're gonna to build a community there. We're going to have kids, and they're never going to know the evils that are out there. Never. We're going to protect them. Have you seen the movie? It's really cool. So there's elders here, and... and Here's, here's how they protect the innocence of their community, through lies. <laughs> They're like, we, we want to protect virtue, so how are we going to do that? Uh, we're going to create this myth about this, this monster that lives in the woods, and we're going to call those monsters the ones of whom we do not speak. <laughs> and we're going to tell the people that live here, if you, if you go beyond our borders, they'll kill you. Literally, that, that, that's... It's just really interesting. And then they, they exaggerate how wicked and evil the world outside of that community is. And so they scare people into obedience. They have a noble desire. And don't we all? I want a beautiful community where people obey, where people are safe. Well, I do too. But you know what? The way to get that and the way to maintain that is not darkness. It's not secrecy. At one point in the movie, Joaquin Phoenix, who plays... Uh, one of the elder's sons, whose name is Lucius, at one point in the movie, he's just fed up. He knows something's not quite right, and he says this. He says, there are secrets in every corner of this village. Do you not feel them? Do you not see them? It's a powerful moment in the movie, like a turning point in the plot. And I can't help but watch that movie and think, man, there's churches just like that. There are secrets in every corner of this community. Do you not feel them? Do you not see them? And John says, it doesn't have to be that way. That grieves God. You know, the, the, the Holy Spirit on four different occasions is called the Spirit of Truth by the Apostle John. And we talk about all the things that could or could not grieve the Spirit. Do you know what I think deeply grieves the Holy Spirit of God? It's when we hold back from being open and honest and transparent, and I would even say vulnerable with one another. Now, I'm going to show you what that looks like. I believe that grieves the Spirit of God. I do not think he will bless a church that has that as a culture and tries to protect it. Fake it till you make it. Now, what happens is you fake it until you break it. And break it, you will. It will break. 
It will be something so ugly and hideous and distorted. Years down the road, you won't even, you won't even recognize it as anything closely resembling Christianity. It's so, that's how Satan works. He's so subtle. And we just drift, drift like you do in the ocean. You just drift. You look up and you're like, where's, where's that tent and the barbecue grill? It's a half mile down the beach, bro. You just were drifting. You weren't paying attention. That's what happens. John is concerned. And so he's addressing this. This is the message that we have heard from him and we declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then he says this. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Then he says, I think before this, if we say, if we say we're walking in the light, but we're walking in darkness, then we're, we're lying. We're deceived. We're blind. Somebody told Jeff and I when we planted this church, I was so consumed with plant a church, build a church, grow a church, 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 church. I was so consumed with that. And somebody said to me, bro, don't go and plant a church. Go and plant the gospel. And a church is what will grow out of it. That's some of the most single, helpful, and applicable advice I've ever been given in my life. Because that is my desire, and this is the vision for this church. And I'll cry thinking about it. Talk about walking in the light. A sweet friend of mine said to me just a couple of years ago, he said, Tommy, can I ask you a question? Because I was having some, some problems. I was exhausted. I was tired. I was wanting this church to be, can I, we're walking in the light here. I was wanting it to be bigger and more powerful. And God was like, no, this is how I'm going to grow this church. It's my church. It's mine. It's not yours. I'm the head. You're not. And a friend of mine said, Tommy, do you think it's possible that you've made an idol out of Grace Life Church, that you've made an idol out of church planting. And man, it made me angry when I first heard that. I didn't want to... <laughs> but I think, it, I, think, I think I did. I think I made an idol out of this church. And, and God took me back to that wisdom. And he said, Tommy, plant the gospel and let me build the church. Just keep planting the gospel. Don't try to create this kind of culture. Just plant the gospel and show how the gospel changes us from the inside out. And the relationships will be beautiful and flourish. It won't be perfect. No church is. I've told people this. If you're looking for the perfect church and you find it, don't join it because you'll ruin it. <laughs> Do you get it? That's my little inside joke. No, seriously, if you find the perfect church, come get me. I'll go with you. All right? We'll join together. That was point one. You have to start with God. You have to start with God. He's waiting in the light with open arms. You have to have zero caution when you come to God. See, that's the, a lie that the enemy builds up, is that God's going to get you. He's going to punish you. And God says, I'm here. I'm in the light. I've never moved. You don't have to be afraid. You can come out here in the light, and we'll walk together. I mean, that's the way the world started. Adam and Eve, there's very few descriptions of Adam and Eve in, in 
Genesis. Did you know that? You know one of the ones that stands out, though, and it's on purpose? What were they when they were together? What were they? You can say it. I know there's kids in here. They were naked. They were naked. That's right. They were naked and they were unafraid. And man, those two adjectives in chapter 3 split and they're never together anymore unless it's in a bad way, right? (laughs) They were naked. They weren't ashamed. They weren't afraid. Why? They did not have anything to hide. I would have loved to have just seen what that looks like in the garden. You talk about walking in the light. The Bible says they walked in the cool of the garden in the evening with the Lord. And they were naked. Can you imagine? You're with, you're with Jesus Christ and you're walking naked and there's nothing wrong. It's right for you to be naked. I'm sorry, I know it's probably planting. That's just, that's just really radical to me to think about. <laughs> no, guys, I'm sorry. Isn't that weird? I, I even have to feel this way because that's what sin does. Those were the descriptions of what community is supposed to be like. We don't have any secrets. There's no darkness anywhere. There's no darkness in God, and so there shouldn't be any darkness with us either. We don't have to walk in the darkness. God says, right now, you don't have to sprint there. It's a walk. It's progress. Right now, look to the light where God is, where Jesus is waiting, and start walking there. And I'll meet you, God says. I'll meet you. I mean, in Christ, he came and got us out of the darkness, didn't he? And now he invites us, stay there. I came and I got you out of darkness, not so you would go back. Darkness is a terrible place to be. It's a tragic place to live your life. And it is possible, according to what John says here, for professing believers to think they actually are walking in fellowship with God and to be living a complete lie. That's an agonizing way to live your life. And yet I'm convinced a lot of people do. This is a community that the world cannot create. I don't care what they say on their website or their purpose statement or what the app says. The gospel is the only thing with the supernatural power to create a community where you can walk in the light. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have anything to prove. I say this all the time, but I really, this is what the gospel does. You do not have anything to prove. I mean, what would prevent you from having this kind of fellowship that John's talking about? One thing, darkness. In the darkness, you feel comfortable. You feel safe. You can hide there. Your secret is not in danger of being exposed. That's why the darkness is so attractive to us. I know when I used to read 1 John and I, and I, and I read Walk in the Light, Don't Walk in Darkness, I, I only thought of the grossest, most immoral sins. When I think John means that, he does, but he means more than that. He means even the struggle that you have or the weakness that you have. The sin that you're so desperately needing to talk about with somebody and confess it and ask for help and for strength and for power and encouragement. Walking in darkness is don't you dare do that here. You just keep that to yourself. Religion is a private thing between you and God. I hope you haven't believed that lie because you'll be living in darkness if you do. And the culture that you cultivate, (laughs) the root word of cultivate is culture. You're always cultivating these things. It'd be toxic and tragic. You start with God. John Calvin said this in his Institutes. This is the very first thing he says in a body of theology that's just profound. He says this It is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself 
unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinizing himself. You know what Calvin is saying? Knowing God rightly leads to knowing yourself rightly. You can, if you start with just the, the longing, the desire for fellowship, you'll break the true fellowship and you won't even understand your needs. You've got to start with God. God can handle your, your needs. God will show you. You know, I was reading in Genesis 32 where Jacob, you remember that story? We preached on it here. Jacob is a deceiver, he's a usurper, he's a trickster, he's a cheat. That's what his name means. He lies his way through, he charms his way through life, and then one day, he's in trouble. And the only hope he has left is God. And in the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord, who it turns out is the Lord, jumps on Jacob's back and wrestles him to the ground, and all night long they wrestle. And then it's interesting Genesis always has these themes. It says, and when the day broke, when the sun rose, Jacob said, let me go. And God said, I'm not letting you go. Well, Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And God says, oh, you want to be blessed? Well, then it's time to be honest. What's your name? You remember earlier in that narrative, Jacob wanted a blessing and he went to his father to steal it. And he said, what's your name, my son? And he said, Esau. He lied. And he got kind of a blessing, but not really. God says, if you really want to be blessed, if you really want to live the rich Christian life, it's time to get honest, Jacob. Time to fess up who you really are. What's your name? And he says, I'm Jacob. And God changed him right there. And he will you too. You've got to get honest with God. God will not tolerate us walking in darkness and living a lie and being deceitful and playing it close, putting your poker face on. God says, not in my house, not in my family. It starts with God. Psalm 36, 9, it says this, in your light, we see light. If you don't start with God, who's the essence of light, you can't see anything clearly. C.S. Lewis said this once. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Isn't that powerful? Christianity starts with God. Walking in the light starts with God, and then it goes horizontal and colors all of your relationships. You've got this security. You don't have anything to prove. You don't have anything, you don't have anything to fear, and you don't have anything to lose. I mean, if, if that's the reality that the gospel creates, I want to live in that community. Francis Schaeffer and his wife Edith in 1955 were so frustrated with their denomination of church in America, that they actually moved to, this, to Switzerland and started a fellowship in the Swiss Alps called Labrie. And somebody will have to remind me what Labrie means. I think it means flourish or real or genuine or something like that. Because they said the church in America, this was in 1955, they said it, was, it had become something that was so disingenuous and not real, and not authentic, and you couldn't even get your, people were coming to the church with questions, and the church wouldn't even try to answer them. They would say, you don't even have any business asking those questions. And so Francis Schaeffer started Labrie, and tons of young people came there, and one young, wealthy architect came there, and he told Francis Schaeffer, he said, you know, every time I come here, I feel like a human being again. And they would hear the gospel of Christ there and get converted. He was trying to do what the church should have been doing in America. 
but wasn't. Fake it till you make it. You won't make it. You'll break it. Walk in the light. Where truth and holiness and honesty and freedom are there. Walking in the light. Listen, that means that you have an honest relationship with Jesus and that you have an honest relationship with one another and then you're free to grow. You will not grow as a believer until you're honest with God, until you're honest with yourself, until you're honest with other people. It won't happen. A lot of other stuff may be happening, but change and transformation and growth will not happen. That's what John says. This, this passage is really surprising. If, if you read it, listen to this. If we, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now check this out. This is so like John to do this. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, and you would expect them to say what? With him. Look, God's in the light. You walk in the light. So you have fellowship with him, right? True, but that's assumed. He's already talked about that in the first four verses. Now he changes. He says, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, something surprising happens. There's a whole bunch of people there in the light waiting to grow with you, waiting to welcome you, to love you, to share life with you. That's what fellowship means. The word fellowship is koinonia, and it means Deep, genuine unity. It means participation. It means a shared life. That's what the whole world longs for, and they just can't quite achieve it. God says, that thing that's so elusive to the world, it's here in my church. I have provided the atmosphere for it. It's in the light. That's all you got to do. You got to leave the darkness. You got to leave the shadows of denial. And you got to be honest and open with God and with yourself and with each other. The church can't be a culture where people are saying, what's really going on here? Do you know how you, one of the tests, I would say, as to whether or not you're walking in the light, now this may get a little uncomfortable, and that's okay. I, want to ch- I really do want to encourage you and challenge you today, because John's saying some radical things. If we walk in the light... He is in the light. We leave the darkness. We have real, genuine fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And then he says, if we say we don't have sin, we're lying. So this passage says a few things. God is light. We have sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. So those are the realities. You're not, there's no such thing as sinless perfection on this side of glory. We still sin as as believers. We're in Christ, we're forgiven, but we still sin. So here's a test. If you're walking in the light, when is the last time you confess sin to somebody else? Not God. Hopefully you're doing that. That's, 1 John talks about that too. When was the last time you confessed your sin to another human being? Or here's another one. When's the last time you ask somebody to forgive you? Guys, I'm just telling you right now, the culture that we live in in the world, we are swimming upstream, even with honesty. I told my wife the other day, 
Have you ever heard somebody say this? Can I just be honest with you? How many people have heard that or said that? Every day I say it. Why do I feel the need to qualify when I'm going to be honest? Why do I feel the need to do that? Because <laughs> we just assume. Everybody's lying. We lie, we lie, we embellish, we exaggerate, we deny, we dodge, and I say, hang on, just for a second, can I be honest? <laughs> That's tragic. I mean, it's funny, but it's tragic. We are swimming an uphill battle and being honest and open and transparent. I mean, we're in an election year, and I know I'm going to go to the ballot sometime this year, and there'll probably be, along with the, the big vote, there'll probably be some amendments and some bills. Now, I'm I'm from Arkansas, I get it, so maybe the deck, the deck is stacked against me. But am I the only one, when I'm going to vote on an amendment that's about solar panels, why can't it just say, yes, I support solar panels? No, I do not support solar panels. Are y'all with me? Why is that? Because we live in an, in an age of deception. They're, they they got to manipulate and control. I don't, even, I don't even vote on it sometimes, because I don't know. I don't, I don't want to vote for, you know what I'm saying? There's like three paragraphs, and you're like, dude, come on, man. We're swimming upstream. We are in an age of darkness and denial and secrecy and control. I know you came here for good news, didn't you? Well, that is good news. You don't have to stay there. That's why this culture ought to be refreshing. This ought to be the, the one place that you can come and walk in the light and be real and put your arm around somebody and say, I'm not doing okay. And not just that, you can share your victories without feeling like you're bragging. I love that about this church. I love hearing testimonies of somebody saying, God answered this prayer. He strengthened me. He gave me victory. Listen, guys, you don't conquer your sins with heroic willpower. You confess them to death. <laughs> you drown them under the blood of Jesus. That's what you do with them. And if we're, if we're not begging God to produce and, and protect this kind of culture. I don't ever want this to be a church where I can't openly share. You know, Ray, Ray Orland, the guy that wrote that book in green that I've been sharing with y'all, I read a testimony about a young man that went to his church years ago in the very early stages of the church plant. 200 people were going there. I know that sounds big, but back then that was a small church for Emmanuel. Now, it's interesting, this young man that was sharing this testimony, he's the lead pastor there. Ray Ortland retired and made him the lead pastor. And he says, I remember one of the first times I went to that church. And he said, Ray got up and he opened the Bible and he did what he always does. He read the passage. He said, that day it was, it was this text, 1 John 1, 7. And he said, Ray read that part where it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. He said, and then Ray stopped, just mid-sentence. And he said he looked down, and he got really silent. And he said it was awkward. And he said, Ray looked up at the church, and he, and he said, I am a sexual sinner. And the guy thought, man, the one Sunday I, I come, I guess this is the last Sunday of the church. This guy's about to drop a bomb on everybody. But he said, Ray stopped, and he, and he said, I'm not looking at anything on the internet. I'm not, I'm not viewing pornography. I'm not having an affair on my, on my wife. He said, but if you knew the thoughts that had gone through my mind and my heart this week, none of you would want to be my friend. Now, just let that, let that sit on you for a minute. Some of you may not like that. Some of you may think, oh my goodness, I couldn't, I wouldn't want to sit under that pastor. I can tell you this, 
Maybe partly it's being a man and just being able. Most men could identify with what he's saying there, that struggle. Man, that would draw me in. I'd want to hear that sermon. I want to hear, in fact, I'm going to, go, I'm going to go look that sermon up and find it. I want to hear it. I want to read the book that he wrote. Because listen, doctrine can, doctrine can either be a barrier to a fellowship or it could be an invitation in. I just appreciate what I think Ray was probably doing was he was reading that passage and just surveying his own heart and saying, man, I've got to do what this text I'm about to preach on is telling me to do. I've got to walk in the light. And if it, if it needs to happen publicly, then so be it. Why? I mean, wh- what could generate that kind of courage in a Christian, let alone a Christian leader? What's the answer to that? What's the answer to that? The gospel. Jesus can. He's the only thing that can. How secure would your heart have to be to stand up in front of 200 people and say that without, without fearing losing your job? Those people pay your salary for crying out loud. Now, look, I'm not there yet. I confess some things, right? God's, God's helping me. He's working, working with me. Well, one of the last things I want to share, you've, guys, I hope this is making sense. I do feel like I'm all over the place sometimes. All right. Praise God. Just thank you, both of you. <laughs> The Great Awakening happened in the 1740-somethings. It started in England. It spread to America. It went to Scotland. It enveloped the whole world, continent by continent. And most people would be familiar with the, the preachers. I don't want to say the, archi- the architect and the engineer of the Great Awakening and the revivals, the Holy Spirit, obviously. But George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, John and Charles Wesley, and it started in England. And they were preaching the gospel and droves of people were getting saved. Some who had been in church their entire life, interestingly enough. And Wesley, you would know him as the founder of the Methodist movement, which is still around today. Methodist, the root word is the Wesleys had this method. How do people grow and thrive? And so John and Charles Wesley said, look, we got all these people that are just coming and hearing us preach, but they need to, they need to do what the New Testament is doing. So Wesley started trying to get people together in little groups where they could grow and they could confess their sin to one another and they could pray and they could do all the 55 one another's in the New Testament. And man, people were resistant. They said, no, 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 we don't want to do that. We, we love your preaching. We love this idea of, of the Great Awakening, but our religion is a private matter between us and God. And Wesley said, oh, is it then? <laughs> and I want, to, I want to read to you what he said. Let me see if I can find it here. Wrote it down somewhere. Yeah, so here's what Wesley said. He said, well, the Bible says, confess your sins one to another, James 5. Exhort one another daily so you're not hardened by sin, Hebrews 3. Teach and admonish one another in wisdom, Colossians 3. Stir one another up to love and good works, Hebrew 10, Hebrews 10. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, Romans 12. Now, he said... <laughs> If you do not meet to do those things, when will they get done? When I'm preaching? (laughs) So the people, they trusted their leader and they started these little, they called them societies. And groups of 10 or more people and they met every week and they they took James 5.16, which says, uh, pray for one another and confess your sins to one another so that you'll be healed. They took that verse from James 5 and they made it actionable on a weekly basis. And here are the rules for being a part of one of those societies. And here's the point that I want to make before I read it. 
We know about the preaching that started the Great Awakening. What we don't know probably as much about are these societies that, that popped up everywhere and sustained that fire. We get the preaching and, and the glory and the proclamation and the gospel. We, this has been forgotten. This is one of the best kept secrets of the Great Awakening. Here's rule one. They set this up in 1738. That we will meet together once a week to confess our faults one to another and to pray for one another that we may be healed. Rule two. That everyone in order speak as freely, plainly, and concisely. Don't go too long. I love that about the Wesleys. <laughs> Control, anyone? <laughs> you just got three minutes now. <laughs> and concisely as he can the real state of his heart with his several temptations and deliverances since the last time of meeting. So it's not just complaining and whining. You're going to say, I'm still struggling with this. And they're going to say, but wait a minute, you were struggling with that last week. How the Spirit of God help you? We were praying for you. So you're not just whining and complaining. You're talking about the real state of your heart. Since last week, here's been your temptations. Here's been your deliverances. Here's been your failures. Man, I just love that. I need that. I want that. Don't you? That's walking in the light. It's inconvenient. It's intrusive. It's all the things that America tells you you don't have to tolerate, to be honest. Why? Wow, my, religion, my religion's a private thing. Is it? Well, how's that going for you? <laughs> Here's the third one. That any who desire to be admitted into this society be asked, what are the reasons for desiring this? Will you be entirely open using no kind of reserve? <laughs> I'm going to try that in my, home, in my community group when we start back up, Joe. <laughs> you want to be part of this community group? Will you be entirely open using no kind of reserve? <laughs> We're building to that. People resist that. They've never been in a community where you can be that honest and that open. Why? Because it was, it was exploited. Somebody will take advantage of that. Somebody will pull a Bible verse out and correct you, right? And not show sympathy and compassion and tenderness and patience and love. That's what John's talking about. And I love that. I, you see that in the Bible. You see it all over the place. You know what one of my favorite Psalms is, are, but anyway, Psalm 51. And listen, when you're reading the book of Psalms, when there's a, a subtitle, that's inspired too. And Psalm 51 says, this is what King David wrote after he went in and committed adultery or rape, either one or both, with Bathsheba. And the Spirit of God came through the prophet Nathan and convicted him of sin and he repented and he wrote this psalm. And it's a psalm of repentance from his sexual sin. Here's the most interesting thing about that psalm. It says, to the choir master. Now just let that, let that settle in your mind for a minute. It's one thing to commit a sin as a king and be called out on it. It's another thing to say, you know what? I got a great idea. Since I'm the king of Israel and I love God and I want to serve these people well and help them, how's about this? <laughs> How about I write a poem about this sin and my confession and my repentance and forgiveness, and we sing about it in the temple at church next Sunday. How's that for being open? 
How's that for being honest? Anybody want to take the first turn? <laughs> write your song and give it to TJ and Kyle. We'll see, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I could write a bunch of songs. Could you? Are you sharing things with your brothers and sisters in Christ that will encourage them and will help them and will build this culture where we can walk in the light together? That's where Jesus is. That's where the blood of Christ can drown those sins and cleanse you and make you new. And you can say, it feels so good to be clean again. I don't have to hide. Have you ever just spent an inordinate amount of time in secrecy and feeling like, man, I just if I only had somebody to share this with, God did not make us to keep secrets. That will crack you. You will be so fragile. Humans aren't intended to be like that. Confess your sins one to another. Walk in the light. We know that the gospel is being unleashed in our heart and changing us, not just when we believe the right things, but when beauty, when beauty appears in the way we treat each other. I told you last week from Romans 15, 7, it says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. Christ has welcomed you. That's the gospel. That's vertical. Welcome one another. That's culture. And here we have it. God is light. <laughs> That's gospel. He's light and he's love. That's gospel. Walk in the light and you'll have fellowship with one another. That's a culture. Walk in the light. Take steps right now. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for myself. That's our prayer for these kids. That they know that this is a safe place to be real. To share your struggle, to confess your sin to share your burden, and to share your victory. I mean, David, who wrote Psalm 51, also wrote Psalm 18. And he said, by my God, I can leap over a wall. I can storm the troops. That's what he said. It's like, is this the same guy? Yes, it is. Because the same gospel that gives you tremendous humility gives you extraordinary courage, too. Humble courage can only exist in a Christian. I'm convinced. The gospel says you're so sinful, Jesus had to die for you. And the gospel says, but hang on a minute. He loves you so much, he was glad to do it. That produces a culture. And I want to be a part of it, and I hope you do too. And there's so much more I could share. And every preacher says that when he's run out of material. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for these truths. And I know I'm inadequate. I feel so inadequate, Lord, to be able to even begin to explain these. But Lord... My heart was just thrilled as I, as I looked at them this week, God. What other organization or community or religion in the world tells us to walk in the light, leave your secrets behind, confess them, shove them, douse them, drown them under the blood of Christ, be real, be honest, be transparent, be vulnerable, take a risk, you don't have anything to lose. Lord, I want that for myself, I want that for my family, I want that for my marriage, I want that for my friendships. I want that for this congregation, Lord, and I know you want it. That's the beauty of your, of your word, Lord. I know you want that. You fought for that. You went to the cross, Lord. You plunged yourself in darkness at Calvary so that we could walk in the light. That's how costly this kind of community is. It cost you your very life.
Give us the desire and the courage and the humility to do what you told us to do, Lord. I pray that nobody in here, Lord, would, would, would be alone. Sin makes a man utterly alone. Help us to find one another. I pray these things in Christ's name. Guys, before we, before we have our song of reflection and our prayer team is in the back, I want to make just a real specific application here, okay? You guys know that community groups are a vital part of what we do at Grace Life Church. We're on summer break right now. We've had a Men Knowing God, a Women Knowing God event, but our community groups are on break. But they're going to relaunch uh, whenever school restarts, right? <laughs> but we're going to have a, an, an interest meeting, and that means this. If you are interested in hosting a community group in your home or facilitating a community group, helping lead one, or being a co-host or being a co-facilitator, please show up at a meeting next week right here, right after the service. Free lunch is provided. And it's, you're not committing yourself to it by showing up, okay? Nobody's going to handcuff you and say, ha, 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 home group's in your house next week, buddy. No, this is just for you to hear the vision that we're casting for both the facilitators and the host because we're just trying to obey what the Bible says to do. I know that that's where we can grow together deeper and, and stronger together. And even beyond that, we've been trying to cast vision in our men knowing God and women knowing God groups about these little subgroups called discipleship groups or fight clubs. There should be somebody in your life right now that really knows what's going on in your heart. There's got to be somebody that knows what's going on in your heart. Somebody that you can trust. Somebody you can say, brother or sister, please, can I just sit with you and just share this? It's not gossip. <laughs> it's like, this is, this is my struggle. This is how I need help. Will you pray with me? Can I confess this sin to you? Will you help me carry this burden? There's got to be somebody that you can trust. And maybe if you don't know anybody, we want to help connect you. So Melissa oversees our women knowing God. She would love to connect you to a D group or help you find one. And Brent Carnathan, he's not here today. He's on vacation. He would love to help connect you to, to some men. And I would too. So community groups, there's a meeting, an interest meeting only, next week, August the 2nd, right after the service. Please pray about being a part of that meeting and hearing the vision. I'll, I'll be there casting vision. And if you want to be a part of a discipleship group where you can do the things that James talks about and John talks about, walk in the light. By the way, all those, all those verbs are plural. He just assumes you're going to do this together. You can't do this by yourself. Then come talk to me, okay? As the band plays, would you just take this time to pray? We have a prayer team in the back. If you want to confess a sin just this morning, or if you want to share a burden, you want to ask somebody for forgiveness, you can do that with them, or you can just sit in your seat and just reflect on what you heard, and then we'll close out our time together.
Father God, we just praise you this morning. We just love you. I know it's something we normally we don't normally do, but you guys want to just sing out the chorus of the song one time, just if you're sitting. God, we just praise you this morning, Father, just for, uh, just for working in our lives, Father. Just pray that you would be with us this week, Father, as we go out, as we just carry the culture, Father, um, that we would just reflect you and your Holy Spirit, Father. We just love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. My name is Joe Nugent. I serve here as an elder alongside Steve Ekman, Cliff Patterson, and Pastor Tommy. And I know that uh, at, the, at the end of service, we, we have announcements. And I got to tell you, um, I'm here excited about announcements. Are you, are you excited about the announcements? I mean, maybe some of you are thinking, yeah, just another half an hour until lunch. I'm, I'm ready. I'm, 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 I'm tasting it already. Actually, I'm excited because announcements here are not just practical, pragmatic things about housekeeping. All right? There are opportunities for us to be able to grow and mature in the very fellowship that Tommy just preached about. And so I'm going to make three announcements, and I'm going to abbreviate the one, <clears throat> um, because Tommy just stole my thunder. It's, it's the way it happened, but it's okay, because he did a great job. I guess I'm losing uh, the, uh, the mic here. So the first announcement is, it's about our corporate prayer meeting. Typically, we have a fifth Wednesday corporate prayer meeting at the Nugent's house. But this month, it's going to be different. It's going to be at your house. Every one of you. That's right. Every one of you. You didn't know that, did you? It's coming to you and it's going to be right there in your living room, your kitchen, your bedroom, wherever you so desire to hook up with us via Zoom and enjoy and 
just join in the fellowship of community through prayer. And I can't <clears throat> encourage you enough to take part in that. Even if you are not the kind of person that likes to pray out loud, but just being there in agreement and hearing the, the needs, the praises, there's a lot going on during our corporate prayer meetings. And you're not going to want to miss being a part of that. So that's this Wednesday, July 29th, 7 p.m. Put it on your calendars. Put reminders in your phone. Put it right up to the very minute. Give yourself an hour even beforehand so that you're ready. And the communication of how to join that Zoom meeting will, will be there on the website. It'll come to you via text. It'll come to you via email. All right, second announcement, which I'm going to abbreviate dramatically from what I had, had first purpose to do, and that is about community groups. Tommy just laid out where we're at with community group, and we're Folks, we, we, need, we need facilitators, we need hosts. And if you are not familiar with community group or you have not been a part of one, I would say to please prayerfully consider becoming part of a community group. This is a, a small, tight-knit group where it's much easier to feel secure and safe to be able to share even the deepest, whether they're hurtful things, dark things, whether they're amazing and wonderful things that are very personal to you, that's a place where you can be doing that. And you'll find that you're going to be strengthened in that. Marilyn and I look forward to community group as a vital part of our life in Christ. Now, again, can I be honest with you? Do I feel like going to community group every Wednesday night? No, no. There are times when I've just been like, man, I, I just don't want to, I just don't want to be there tonight. I'd rather just stay home, chill, and just ignore everybody and everything. And i got to tell you, it's those times when I do make the extra effort to get there and be there and participate, even if it's just to listen to what other people are experiencing in their life in Christ, I never walk away from that time feeling like, oh boy, that was a waste. You know, I don't, I don't know what I did that for. I don't know why I made the effort. That, that was ridiculous. Never has that ever happened. God always, every time, has met me there, and he has just edified me. He has instructed me. He has corrected me. And it's, it's a vital part 
of our growth as Christians, especially with the things that we are battling in today's society and today's culture. Okay, third thing, and I'm sorry um, if I'm drawing this out longer than you had anticipated. Really, my sincerest apologies, but I just <laughs> feel compelled to read this scripture. It's 1 John uh, 3, 16 through 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and the sisters. But if anyone has the world's goods, I think, well, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And folks, what I'm, what I'm getting to is something you may be aware of, but for those of you who may be new to Grace Life, you may not be aware that we have what is called a benevolence fund. And it is a fund that is there to help members of our family in times of need. And given the circumstances that we find ourselves in for the last several months with COVID hitting and lots of people losing jobs and time at their jobs, etc. There had been a great number of needs amongst us. And this benevolence fund has begun to deplete. Now, you wouldn't have known that if I didn't stand up here and tell you that. So I, I, I want you to know about that because we are a family here and we are working towards becoming a tighter knit family week by week Sunday by Sunday community group by community group prayer meeting by prayer meeting fight group to fight group and so on and this is one way that I would ask you to again prayerfully consider if you might be able to help replenish that fund for the benefit of others in the family. You can do that along with your regular giving and just earmark your donation for the Benevolence Fund. And I believe God will, will bless you for it. So we've reached the point that everybody gets even more excited about. It's that point when we stand up and we do our charge. And, ah, yeah, well, wait a minute. It's, it's not there. It's not there. So we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to just go for it, guys. Um, I, will, I will lead you in it because I know that sometimes, um, you know, we, I, I get, muffed up in the middle of it for some reason all the time, you know, without seeing the words on the screen. So anyway, if you can recite it with me, the Grace Life Charge, I am a witness 
I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent. Much grace and peace to you this week, folks.